This is Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. Our heart for you is that you would live like Jesus and share his love. This is the third installment of a three-part discussion with Pastor Josh Harriman, Pastor Ryan Bibb, Ryan Benazic, and Dave Northrup. All four of these men sat down to talk about how current culture is affecting perceptions on law enforcement, not only locally here in Sturgis, Michigan, but in our country as a whole. I think we can all say that we can be thankful for the police officers like Ryan Benazek and Dave Northrup who keep us safe in our communities. You'll hear Dave and the rest of the guests say something pretty consistently through this podcast. Don't paint with a broad stroke. One bad police officer does not mean an entire group of people are bad. We're thankful for our local police officers. I hope you are too. And I hope you'll continue to listen to Radiant Reflections, specifically if you haven't heard the first part and the second part of this three-part discussion on Radiant Reflections, please stop this podcast right now, go back and listen to episode 23 and episode 24. And now here's Pastor Josh Harima, Pastor Ryan Bibb, Ryan Benazic, and Dave North. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 25. We are continuing our conversation here with Pastor Ryan Bibb. Ryan Manezik and Dave Northrup. Uh, if you haven't heard the last couple of episodes, you're missing out. Go back and listen to those before you listen to this one. Some of this probably won't make sense. No, and I'm really glad we're doing this because we have never had a situation <coughs> where we've had to go three episodes in one city. No, this is this is good. This is good. Uh, so before we talk about, and we keep, I think this is the third time we've said, before we talk about defunding the police, uh, we want to talk about, but I do want to talk about, uh, Ryan, uh, we bumped into each other at the grocery store the other day. Uh, did. And we <laughs> and had a thirty minute conversation we, blocking yeah, the frozen vegetable that's aisle. Right. We, were, we were chatting. I felt so bad. No there was this one you. lady like standing there, like, and she didn't want to interrupt, but like she was clearly waiting to get something out of one of the frozen, you know, sections. <laughs> she's just standing there. It's like, oh, like should should we move for you, ma'am? And she's, <laughs> oh, good times. But one of the things that we talked about in our conversation in the grocery store frozen food aisle was. The word murder. So this is this is something right that in in a lot of the conversations about uh, George Floyd, you know this this word has been thrown around now. And and this is something you know, Dave, you talked about kind of your initial reaction, like oh, like when when the whole George Floyd incident happened, about the reaction to race, um, and and in the conversation you and I had, I was I was also mad that people were calling it within less than twenty four hours, people were labeling this as murder. Um, I said, man, we don't have we don't have the information yet to do that. But now, I mean, what a couple of months later, this that seems to be the the general term people would use when they're looking at it. I believe the last last time I looked, you know, uh, Derek Chauvin, the the officer involved, I think second and third degree murder are the charges he's facing. But you you brought up something about murder that I think is is an interesting line of conversation that we could tease out. So. You want to rehash kind of what yeah. you brought up? I think we, we, it's important to understand the legal definition of murder. And because murder is used so broadly when it comes to death, right? They were murdered. Um, and so you have murder, which is the willful, wanton uh, killing of another person. Um, was it that officer's intent to kill George Floyd? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think any of us know. Um, It'd be, I mean, that, that would make it comparable to the race issue, 
Right. I mean, that, that would be like a, it's, like we, are, we don't have a, you know, a glimpse into his. Yeah. When, when the murder is, and Dave, feel free to hop in when you want, but when the term murder is tossed in there, right? That is, yeah. So we talk about murder. Was it, was that his intent? Was it, was he willfully trying to kill that George Floyd? Or was it more relevant to manslaughter where his actions led to the death of George Floyd? Whether it was that his intention to do that, or was it a lack of training, whether it was not caring, right? We know his actions, in some effect, resulted in George Floyd's death. Um, no matter if drugs are in this right. system, which we know, it, it, there was still, the drugs had, may have had, exasperated the, the death. Correct. But we would all say the law, the police officer definitely had a role. A role in the death in of George the death Floyd. the death of George Floyd. Yes. So... And maybe it's semantics with the wording of murder, manslaughter, um, but there's different levels and there's different, legally, there's different definitions of both and one may be more applicable than the other. So I think that's willful, was that his intention or was he negligent in his actions that led to the death of, again, I'm going to beat on it again, goes back to a heart issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> was that his heart? Was, was he? Was 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 his heart to kill George Floyd, or was his heart so callous that he didn't care about his actions? And if George Floyd died, it didn't matter to him. So take us into your guys's level, because the one narrative that we kept hearing from George Floyd, we, we've all four of us probably watched that video, right? And no matter what, you can't sit there and say that's disturbing. Anytime someone dies, it's disturbing. And, and I think Dave, you, you hit on that. Um, what George kept saying is, I can't breathe, right? And now you're seeing the t-shirts being made, I can't breathe or whatever. Take us into what it's like to be in a situation where you are trying to arrest someone, control someone, whatever it is, and, and they're saying that. Under your assumption, like, do you believe that person initially? Or is it like, they, they just want to get out of my, like, help, because I've never been there. I, 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 and maybe you guys haven't, where you've been in a situation where someone's saying, but what, what is, what is perhaps the training? What is the thought process of, of that whole thing? If someone is saying that, what, 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 what transpires? So, I mean, officers are trained. I can only speak for how we train our officers and students, right? Um, and I know how we train is, is nationally accepted best practices, um, you know, off of standards created both by uh, the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards and nationally. So I, I, we're in line with that. But, um, you know, we train officers that once someone's in handcuffs, right, you're off their back because, you know, that compresses the chest. Um, you know, you, you stay away from the head and neck unless you have no other choice. Um, so... I have dealt with many arrests, and I'm sure Dave has as well, uh, where the person says, I can't breathe, and there's no restriction to their chest or back. Um, and so when you look at the uh, physiological side of it, if they're talking, they're breathing. I mean, there's, there's air coming in, right? So it's like, um, I guess I... People use it when it's not necessarily the case. Yeah. But as an officer, if someone's saying that, you have to evaluate where you're at, what's going on, what's the situation, and make sure that you're not causing that or evaluate, okay, nope, he can breathe. I'm watching him breathe. He's fine. But just because someone's saying it doesn't mean that's necessarily true. Yeah. And sometimes that's a psychological issue 
and um, not saying, hey, this person's crazy, so that's why they, it's more of that they get so worked up that, uh, and it's hard to, to um, breathe that uh, they just feel like they can't breathe. And so excited uh, delirium. Yeah. Well, there's probably, a, there's probably a little bit of stress involved in getting arrested. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I, I imagine I mean, this so. is not his first time. He knows what's going to happen. Mm. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're going through that, what an officer should be doing is reevaluating every time, you know, he's saying this, okay, well, if he's talking, then that means there's an exchange of oxygen. Mm. So he, there's no way to talk if you don't, if you're not breathing. So you, but you can't just say, oh, you can breathe, shut up and quit being a baby about it. (laughs) You know, you can't do that. You need to start evaluating it because this is something that if I settle the person down, hey, if you calm down, you know, making sure that I'm not on him, there's nothing restricting him. And that um, maybe if I set him up, if they're down on the ground, um, the the one in New York they had several years ago, the guy was very girthy. So um, him laying down probably caused restriction of breathing. Him getting his belly shoved back into his diaphragm caused restriction of breathing. How can you handle that? Well, do you just keep him laying down or do you set him up? If you set him up, now you now you can breathe. You get the restriction off the diaphragm. Some of that's the, some of the training that you have. I know that especially with the fire department, Sturgis Fire Department, um, working so well with the police department, I've come down before and, and had, you know, some of the medical people, hey, can you check out this guy? Can you talk to him? Um, you know, they have oxygen that's there and available. But what you don't do is ignore him. That's that's what that's what was there, and what you don't do is when somebody's saying that, and you have several people there. Somebody's if nobody's a boss, somebody's got to be a boss. Somebody's got to come up and be a leader and say, hmm, maybe we just need to do this. Let's, he's in handcuffs. He's not fighting. Let's settle that down and and make those adjustments. So that's that's kind of our view on it. And I think you know, there's also a big difference between someone that's in handcuffs and someone who is not. If someone's actively resisting, right? And they are trying to prevent you from putting handcuffs on them. We're in a different level than once they are in handcuffs, right? Uh-huh. Um, because if, if I'm actively engaged in a struggle with someone trying to arrest them and they're yelling, I can't breathe. Yeah, every time I try to adjust, the fight is instantly back on. Yeah. It's a different situation, right? In, in, in the George Floyd incident, he was in handcuffs. And I think Dave and I both agree, handcuffs are on. You have four or five officers there. All right, let's get them up onto their side. Let's make yeah. sure they're in a position where we get medical here. Take those steps. Um, but again, not, it's very. I think law enforcement and David and I've had this conversation a couple times. Law enforcement is is far from a black and white profession. Black and white being clear and unclear. Not racial, thank you for right? defining that. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I said that. And I was like, wow, that. Yeah, I need to clarify that. It's not. It's very gray, right? I mean, it is. Yeah. You're trying to d- decipher who's telling you the truth, who's lying to you every, every moment uh, of, every, of every call you handle, and that's part of the job. I think that's why it's a unique job um, because nothing is ever the same, no situation is ever the same, and these officers are making these decisions in split seconds across the country and how they deal with these situations. So. No, you guys both brought it up, and we're going to get to that next question. So after my <laughs> no, last, hey, that's, that's all right. I actually because okay? I actually want to I want to bounce back to one of the other questions okay. too. <laughs> uh, because you mentioned it, and I, I guess I, I I forget about it. There are other officers there, mm-hmm. and you kind of mentioned it, like someone needs to lead, someone needs to step up. But you didn't see any any one of the other one. I mean, I don't know the whole exchange, and I don't think anyone knows what the other officers may have been saying in that moment. I don't know. But was there an overall like a leadership just like? Hey, he's like you said, he's in handcuffs. They're like, hey, let's get him up now or, or something. 
I, I think that because with the pictures that I saw, this is again now it's pictures which take a little snapshot, so you don't know what's happening. Yeah. I can see what's happening in that second. That's all I know is that uh, I think that their problem and the problem is in law enforcement, just like it's any place else, is that we're apathetic. That how many people you know, even in your own office here. How many, if somebody was doing something that's just a little off color or just a little bit that needs to be changed, how many people would step up and say, you know what, you need to knock that off? Or if somebody walked in and they're doing something, that stepping up and taking that, that, that role. And I think that America as a whole, that we're apathetic. And I deal with kids all the time. And I remember this kid saying, well, that's not me, man. That's, that's on them. And no, no. We had somebody die because you had a lack of leadership. Mm. Um, I did not see if, did you see any stripes there? I didn't see any, um, during the incident no. So any supervisors. I didn't see any supervisors there. What's well, interesting. I'm reading a book right now called having, having the difficult conversations. Um, and it's, an it's a book. great book by the way. Yeah. You read it? What, no, is that okay. We might be talking about this different no. books here. What's, what's your, <laughs> who, who wrote your, so is it like mine? A, pur- purple and gold? <laughs> Red. Okay. No. So you were, we were talking about a different okay. one. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure your book, book is really good, though. Uh, <laughs> no, it's funny. I'm, I'm reading this book about about having those difficult conversations, uh, and goes to incidents like that, or or any incident where you need to call someone out on behavior or action. Um, and while it's uncomfortable and it's difficult, the long term benefits, right, uh, are huge, and uh, it's definitely what we need as a country and as a profession. It's even more important for us. Oh no! Yeah, a different book. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll send you a copy of mine when I'm done with it. Um, it is especially important in law enforcement because you know we ha- we are given uh, you know law enforcement officers obviously carry a gun and they have the legal right to, to take a life if needed. And so with great with great responsibility, you talk the Spider Man thing with great power comes great, <laughs> great responsibility. Great, great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Um, I think it was like before right. Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I was, was going to go with Uncle Ben right? yeah. um, <laughs> or whatever. Right. Um, so when you have that responsibility and you have that ability, you have, you, there's a great responsibility that comes along with that. And we need to make sure as a profession that we hold each other accountable and, and call out issues when you see them for the benefit of society and the benefit of the department and the benefit of that officer. Yeah. Okay. Just so we don't leave it hanging, I want I want to bounce back. No, I want to bounce back to the murder thing, right? I mean, because I mean, oh, you, you kind of whole. That's what started this whole conversation. Right, right, right. right. I mean, I mean, so, so you kind of teased out there. the legal definition. Do you think, though? I mean, and and you alluded to it a little bit. The general public, they don't think in terms like that. So do you? I mean, you think, oh, hey, like you were involved in the death, the death of somebody. It's murder. I mean, legally, yes. I mean, we have kind of this minutia and like the the breakdown. And how familiar do you think the general public is with that to where like, you know, is it legally, maybe murder isn't the right word, but in describing the fact that this officer was involved in the death of George Floyd. Right. Is it murder? I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean in a sense, I mean, given, given the general public's perception of what constitutes it's murder. It's perception, but vocabulary. We all right. use murder and killing. It's the same. Right. Yeah. We as a society right. don't mm-hmm. sit there and call it manslaughter unless it goes to the legal system. Like, who walks around, maybe maybe you guys use that more in your vocabulary, but an average Joe doesn't walk around and say manslaughter. Well, we say, say they, you they killed, killed someone them. you murdered. Like, right. you know, we, so we blend uh, the average society, a culture, we blend all these words together and right. make one word. 
even though legal system right breaks it down. You and I had that discussion yesterday. Well, what is when the when when scripture, God's word, the Bible, when that says murder, back two thousand years ago, they're not saying first degree, second degree, third degree manslaughter. It was murder. It, it was the one instance where this could be a broad stroke, if you will, when we're trying to get away right. from the broad stroke. Biblically, murder was just the killing of, of someone, whether it was premeditated, whether it was not. Right. Now, the the penalty, I mean, and I, I would have to go <laughs> further into Leviticus, but I do think the penalty was different. The pe- like oh, if, yeah. if you accidentally killed somebody right. or you yes. were negligent right. and you Negus. killed somebody, I mean, there, there, was, a, there was a penal difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just in general, though, again, it was, it hey, was don't kill. Murder. <laughs> was, you know, That's what it was. was but the, we, 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 are, we are living today in the 21st century. We have different legal standards now. Then, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I guess, I guess bottom line is like when, if somebody were to use that word, like murder, in conjunction with George Floyd, mm-hmm. like how do we tease out the, I mean, because you guys are coming at it from a legal, you guys get that. Like you live and breathe that, that legal, uh, the, the, the legal breakdown, so to speak, of, of what is what. The general population, and I'm not saying that, like, oh, well, hey, the general population is ignorant, so we just right. give them a pass. It's not that. But <laughs> I don't know Dave's got something. Yeah. Well, and I say that a lot, that, mm-hmm. that we are ignorant, and which is better than being stupid. Ignorant means that I, can, I, can, I have the capacity to learn and understand. And stupid is I'm just going to go with whatever, and, and facts don't matter. And I think that we're ignorant a lot. And that's why I think that exchanges like this are really important is to try to find out. You know, we had somebody here a little bit earlier who voiced in from the outside a couple of opinions that I disagreed with. But uh, um, I think it's good to make those and have a good dialogue about them. Mm. And uh, it's just bad when we are all stuck on what we believe and it's not factual. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Finally, the, the question we've been waiting <laughs> Let's for. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. I've been like chomping at the bit over here. <laughs> so one, one of the aspects of, of the, the cultural conversation right now, especially like, and, and we, we referenced this a little bit um, back episode 19, 18, 19. When I we, said, I can't, I, I, I don't remember what number we're on, but this guy remembers it all. <laughs> like you even mentioned episode 22 or something. Yeah, I just did that podcast. I don't even know what number we're on. I have no idea. <laughs> but I mean, but when we talked with uh, with Pastor Ray Dash uh, out of Newark, right? And we we kind of talked about Black Lives Matter, the organization, and that was a great podcast. I listened to that one, and um, just hearing him talk and hearing his view was a great. So I, which I mean, one of the cool things is is he did seem to kind of walk more of that middle. It wasn't oh no, like hey, you know, like it's this side or no, it's this side. And I, I mean, you guys are. Again, and one of the things I love is you guys are in that same place. It's not, no, hey, you know, forget everybody else. Every cop is always right every time. Uh, I mean, you guys, you guys are, are a lot more balanced. Uh, but we talked about this, the organization Black Lives Matter. You know, you had a lot of people in the aftermath of George Floyd, you know, blacking out their profile pictures and hashtag Black Lives Matter. But if you look at blacklivesmatter.com, which if you're listening and you <clears throat> haven't, uh, go ahead and take a look. <laughs> um, one of the biggest things that organization is working towards is defunding the police. Yep. That's kind of become another catchphrase uh, in this this cultural narrative. Practically speaking, what does it mean to defund the police, and what are the what are the ramifications of that? Let's say let's say Black Lives Matter 
<clears throat> succeed to some extent. Right. And they quote unquote defund the police. How does that play out in the real world? <laughs> so the reality of that, you have to look at law enforcement as, you know, as a whole here and you have kind of the core function of law enforcement and kind of what we always, I always tell the guys is we have to be like our core of what we do is patrol and that's answering calls for service, right? Someone calls 911, needs the police help. That's the core of what we have to do. We have other areas outside of that that we use as um, to, to better our ability to do that core. That would be you know, community policing stuff. When you talk about big cities, they have huge community policing sections to them, right? A whole, you know, officers that are just committed to engaging with the community, building relationships with the neighborhoods. It's a huge part of their police department. You know, they have school resource officers in our schools that are a, you know, kind of a branch off of that core of what law enforcement does, which is responding to 911 service calls. So when you talk about defunding the police, some of the first things practically that would go, if you're losing funding, because we still have to answer 911 calls, right? We still have to show up when someone calls 911 for our help. So you can't get rid of that. So what do you start getting rid of if you lose funding? You lose those other areas, those specialty services, community policing, school resource officer. And if we get rid of community policing and those, those other um, jobs within law enforcement that are built around building relationships, that's what we need. That, that is, at the end of the day, relationships are what will heal the situation mm -hmm. and they are also what will make us stronger moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so the very thing that we need more than ever is that community interaction and that community relationships within law enforcement and the communities they serve, we're, we're going to be getting rid of because we still have to do our core. We still have to answer 911 calls. Um, and so you get rid of the community policing, you get rid of, you know, maybe school resource officers, these other things. Okay, well, now if I still have further defunding of law enforcement, what's the next biggest discretionary money, we call it, which is our training budget. So now you get rid of your you know, community relations. And now if you have to cut further funding, we, again, we can't cut our core. We still have to show up to 911 calls. So what are we, what would come next? Training. So now we know training is important. We're crying for more training as a country. They're crying for more training for law enforcement, increased training, better training. But reality is that's going to, those budgets are going to get slashed mm. because you still have to respond to 911 calls. And the price that comes with that of staffing vehicles, right? Those are kind of fixed costs. And so we have got rid of our relationship piece. We've gotten rid of the schools. We've gotten rid of training. We've set ourselves back 15 years. Hmm. Um, and that's the reality of, of what defunding the police would look like. And, and you know, because I've heard, well, defunding the police means we're just going to get rid of law enforcement. Now, if you really look at what the defund the police movement is, for the most part, with some exceptions outside of, some cities that have tried to get rid of their whole police department. It's not about getting rid of the police department. It's about slashing funding and putting funding elsewhere. Um, but that's not, that's not going to fix the problem because you're now just hand, you're, you know, you're, you're handcuffing law enforcement from, and preventing us from doing things that are beneficial. So, I mean, so if anything, like rather than help the problem, it would actually exacerbate yeah. Issues where that you know you're taking law enforcement back to the '60s, '50s, and '60s is what you would end up doing. And I made a comment two podcasts ago 
while people uh, in Yahoo's and Prius is responding to calls. Because that's what they were talking about on the Why's West it Coast. Be Prius? Priuses are expensive, that's what they bro. Had on the West Coast, so they had some uh, little Priuses that uh, that they were going to be. That, if someone uh, drives a Prius listening to this, yeah, podcast, we apologize. You lost them, <laughs> and we are sorry. You keep driving your Prius proudly. And we actually we, else. we have a few people that come to Radio Life that drive, yeah, yes, yes. drive Priuses. And have apples. Prius, 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 Prius. Prius that go here. No, it, it, you're right. It set us back. Yeah, you know. Because the 80s was when the community policing started to come in um, hot and heavy, but that was an awful lot of the civil unrest that was brought to you in the 60s and early 70s in Vietnam and, and all the protests. And they said, hey, you need to get more professional. We need to be more relational. So the things that, that you're going to end up dropping are the things that, that were put in place historically. And that's why we need to be thoughtful about this and find out why, does, why is law enforcement where they are now compared to where they were back in the 1800s in the night early 1900s where are they at why why are they set up the way they are now you know it's a little bit less material materialistic uh militaristic and um than than it was several years ago but it's also significantly more um focused on community values and relationships okay so so that's an interesting and, and ryan you and i talked a little bit about this too in the in the frozen food tile uh but Dave, i mean you just talked about how the the police is is less militaristic now but another piece of this this conversation in our culture is you know you hear defund the police you also hear people saying demilitarize the police what like what does that mean i mean again and again ryan we, we talked about this a little bit uh right. like what are people asking for and why do they think that the police are militarized i think you guys think I think that you look at because you have ranks, you have structure, you have um, guys wearing black outfits, you you know, instead of camo and camouflage and some of those other things that people are looking at. They're looking at the SWAT teams. They're looking at some of those things. Um, even St. Joseph County. Go yeah, ahead. And it goes. To, I think a lot of the demilitarization. If you look back three to four years ago, was when there's a, a federal program called the 1033 program, and when that really came, when that came to light, and Dave's rolling his eyes at me, but. <laughs> When that came, became really public was that uh, the 1033 program allows for military surplus to get rolled down to local law enforcement. Um, you know, a lot of that was armored vehicles. Um, you know, back 15 years ago, that was tanks of some kind um, or MRAPs. now it's MRAPs. Um, but they're ballistic, you know, uh, armor protected vehicles used for SWAT teams, used for that kind of stuff. And so that was when the whole real big demilitarization push came, it was surrounding that program. And, hey, why do law enforcement need tanks? Or why do they need an MRAP? Well, a lot of it's used for SWAT teams when they have barricaded subjects. Dude, when they gotcha. have, right, you know, MRAPs vehicle. have been used. And if you don't know what MRAP is, you can look it up online. Okay. It's a huge. <laughs> honestly, I, I was going to ask. What it's, is it's, it's, like, it's a very big, it's, it's a mine resistant ambush, ambush protected vehicle. You know, that was developed for use in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, dealing with a lot of IEDs, but it's, it's armor plated. And so, and it will stop um, rifle rounds and stuff, some other threats that are common to law enforcement in the U.S., uh, as well as overseas for our, for our service members. And so those vehicles are used for any number of things. They've been used down south for hurricane response because they set up so high they can get through flooded areas. They've been used to rescue stranded people in active shooter situations. They've, they're used to protect law enforcement. Uh, whether it's a barricaded or a hostage situation. So 
and that's even in our county. You don't even have to talk right. nationally. Right. You're, not the flood issue, but you're talking about um, a barricaded gunman mm-hmm. and going up to the house and and um, and uh, you know helping save people that are in the house in a safe so way. We, we, we've done that. that uh, so, but that that program again, you look at this little small things and say, oh, well, you can get helicopter or you can get this MRAP or you can get this but they also have other equipment that came through there that was very helpful to law enforcement medical supplies medical supplies and uh so you know there's there's a ton of different things the problem is we can't we keep throwing the baby out with the wash and say that a whole program's bad because you have a, a section that may not be well and even that it's i think the big thing was there was a few agencies across the u.s who were abusing that program mm-hmm. right and using it in a way that it was not intended to be used and that that broad brush stroke again has now painted that whole program as bad, and it really started the demilitarization of police. Got to get rid of the of this program. So that's where the demilitarization. Come. Why are you laughing at me? I mean, just because you have one more sounds. Just because you have one bad apple in the bushel, we don't need to throw the whole bushel out. Right. Deal with the bad apple. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, so, but I mean, practically speaking, like if people weren't, I don't know what successful would look like if they demilitarized the police. I mean, that would have practical ramifications that are negative. Yeah, like, it, it, oh, hey, t- let's take away their M-Raps. <laughs> it, it, it's not only, it would not only have negative implications for law enforcement, for the officers. It's an officer safety issue. I mean, a lot of these, especially when you look at the armored vehicles and stuff, it's an officer safety. It allows them to do their job effectively and safely, as safely as can be done, because it's a dangerous job. Um, but it also provides officers another resource, another tool to use to help citizens out. I mean, I know they've been used to evacuate. We have a barricaded gunman, and we've used, you know, that MRAPs to uh, evacuate neighbors as, 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 you know, as a ballistic barrier between a neighbor house and get people and kids out of houses. They're, they're used to benefit the community. Um, you just have to understand why. And I think as law enforcement, as a profession, we have to do a better job of educating the public as much as possible when it comes to the use of some of this stuff. I think sometimes we're so quick to just say, you don't understand. You, you don't get it. You, you haven't, you know, you don't, you don't do this job. And that's, and that's fair. People don't understand because they haven't done the job, but we have to, I think we also have to do a better job of attempting to educate and attempting to um, let people see a little bit more of what we do so they can understand. Cause I think when people understand and you explain to them the why behind equipment, the why behind tactics, the why behind policies, uh, while the, they may never fully understand without being there, you may provide a little glimpse into what an officer's deal with and what an officer sees that will at least allow someone to say, okay, I may not fully understand it, but I can see why. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that falls on us as law enforcement leadership as, as a profession to do better at that. So. Nice. So kind of to kind of we'll we'll try to wrap it up here for this third episode. Don't want to go to fourth. <laughs> Someone's about to buy me lunch and, here and soon. That's right. <laughs> and I mean, and we we hit a little bit. I mean, you guys brought up some scripture earlier, but I mean, both of you guys are followers of Jesus. I mean, Ryan, for you, I mean, currently active, you know, on the police force, and Dave, for you, you know, when you when you were on the force, but even now working security, you know, with the schools and stuff. Like, how does how does being a follower of Jesus affect the way that you? do your job. I mean, that you, you think might be unique uh, compared to somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus. Um, before he starts talking about the heart again, I'll just... Uh, 
Right, it's yeah. good to talk about that. <laughs> we, we got you. We got you. No, Every, I, everyone knows who's the kind, <laughs> sensitive person here. It's you are Dave. the most sensitive one here. <laughs> I think that part of it is just the hope that you know that there's hope, hmm. and that um, as frustrated as you get, as um, as uh, angry as you get with parts of the job, you know that there's a hope, and that you know the. Um, the creator of the world is still in charge. Mm. And so I think that part of that for me is the, on those days where I just feel like, you know, picking that chair up and throwing it or, um, or get so frustrated with something is that's just to have to reset and know that. And then I don't get upset when you're dealing with, I don't get as upset when you're, when I'm dealing with somebody, when you can stop and think that Jesus died for that person as well. Mm. And, and I think, that, and that's hard sometimes. Because you want to introduce him to Jesus, like right now, <laughs> I want to send you to the pearly gates, and that's how you, you you just get angry with with it. But you have to say, just as much as Jesus died on the cross for me, mm. is he died for that guy who's that drug guy that I have to deal with all the time, mm. that person who's beating his wife, mm. that drunk that I see all the time, that that you have to keep that in perspective. Mm. And sometimes, and my wife and I talk about this is just how do you go through life um, without um, being a drunk or a, or um, taking drugs or whatever to try to help if um, help you make it through and I don't, I don't know how to say that but it's just it's just like um, it's just frustrating when um, when you're dealing with somebody to to know that um, that that's the same guy that that, that did both that that my attitude needs to change toward that. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of heart for Ryan. And that's your segue. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> um, no, I think Dave hit. I think Dave hit it on the head there um, with that hope. But I think I'll speak from your heart. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Too God. soon. <laughs> Two jerks. Ryan, I feel like they're all teaming up on you, bro. Like. <laughs> I'm sensitive. I'm sorry that. Like, like, it's all right. This a, sometimes this yeah, is a hostile yeah. working haters, moment right here. Haters gonna hate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think Dave hit. He was right on with what he said uh, because so often, like I mentioned earlier, officers deal with people at their worst, and so it's very easy. And especially we talked about before Dave and I back when he was at Phil's apartment. Especially the guys that work midnights and overnight shift, they don't have. They have very few interactions with people who appreciate them. Or, you know, they have interactions with people who don't appreciate them and uh, are, you know, committing crime and don't respect them. And so it's very easy to get that jaded, um, calloused heart like that I did there. Uh, it's very it's very easy to become, you know, jaded and calloused towards people in the whole because, you know, you deal with it with, with that same subgroup of people all the time over and over and over and over again. And so you start to have this, you know, it's easy to just be like, well, everyone's like that because you don't have the interactions with the people that appreciate you and respect what you do and are thankful for you. And so uh, having that hope, knowing, um, knowing that there's more to this than just that, uh, I think is, they would probably agree that that's a light many times when you get done with the end of your shift. No, it's good. Pastor Ryan, anything else you want to throw out before we wrap this uh, this episode up? No, I just again appreciate your guys' perspective and coming in and 
thinking we're shooting one podcast and three episodes <laughs> later, here we are. But uh, no, thanks for what you guys do and have done and um, appreciate you guys. And uh, I just feel like we got to pray for them. Yeah, and I and I want to I want to throw it before we before we close out in prayer. I do want to I want to say this. When we talked to Pastor Ray, uh, he said one of the biggest ways you can get you know as he was giving us insights into the black community, he says it's relationship. Mm-hmm. Get to know people. Hey, that person looks different. Don't write them off. Get to know them. You'll find out a whole lot. I want to issue that same challenge to everybody listening now. Whether you're in Sturgis or some other community, uh, especially if you're somebody that that you have uh, maybe a bent against law enforcement. Get to know some of the local officers, like they're real people. <laughs> you know, so, so don't don't sit there and, and write them all off. Don't paint with this broad brush, you know, like Dave, like you talked about. Uh, actually, get to know uh, some of the guys that are are putting their life on the line and serving in your community. Um, yeah, get to know them. But yeah, all right, Ryan, you wanna you wanna <clears throat> you wanna close out in prayer? Yeah. This uh, yep. just uh, again. Uh, very grateful for the the officers uh, in our community and the surrounding communities. Uh, you guys really do make this a place where we don't have to be scared to walk. <laughs> we don't have to be scared to walk through neighborhoods uh, because of what you guys are doing. And yeah, we are we are grateful for that. So yeah, Ryan, if you want to close right. up, Pastor Ryan, close out in uh, in prayer. Uh, that'll be a great way to close episode twenty five. Okay, uh, Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time. Thank you for the time that Dave and Ryan uh, made on their schedule. To they're, they're busy, but they made it um, a priority to come and have this conversation, a, a tough conversation to have in the midst of everything that's going on, but a great conversation to just to sit down and sl- slow down life a little bit to understand a different perspective that we as average people don't always fully understand. God, may this whole thing be a learning process from us. May we never stop learning. May we be able to, in an event that may trigger a ton of emotions right away, God, um, may we be able to allow those emotions to settle a little bit before we judge, before we shoot off things. Uh, Help us just to learn more about um, loving everyone, no matter skin color, no matter what their occupation is. Um, I pray that we would just help, help us to live like you more and more, Jesus, in this world. I pray for Dave and Ryan. Would you bless them? Would you grant them incredible leadership in their roles as, um, as they're in public safety? God, would you anoint them um, in incredible ways? Would your light shine in them and through them? Uh, protect their families, God. Uh, bless their families. Bless their kids. Bless their, their spouse. And um, I just pray you do amazing things. And God, I just pray for, um, as we wrap up this episode, that uh, some sort of ripple effect of blessing would go upon these the, the law enforcement here, not only in this community, uh, not only in this county, in this state, but this nation. We just pray for incredible healing. And uh, we know um, it's going to happen through relationships, the building of relationships, but the most important building relationship is with you, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that would happen first and foremost. And may we be a light in in a, in a in a world that seems incredibly divided and dark right now, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, thank you for joining us for your reflections, and uh, we will see you next time where we'll dig into our dangerous prayer series. Thanks for listening to Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. 
We hope today's edition of Radiant Reflections has helped you live like Jesus and share his love with your family, friends, and neighbors. To learn more about the church family this podcast originates from, check out theradiantlife.church. That's theradiantlife.church. Maybe you have some questions after listening today. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at theradiantlife.church. That's podcast at theradiantlife.church. Don't forget to subscribe to the Radiant Reflections podcast. When you subscribe, you'll always have the latest content delivered right to your phone from the Radiant Life Church. We'd also be grateful if you could rate and review Radiant Reflections. Every time we receive a five-star review, more people learn about this podcast. We also want to encourage you to share this podcast on social media and with your friends and family. Join us next time for another edition of Radiant Reflections. Reflections.